0: If Cork's plan A breaks down, the plan B doesn't work at all. So Limerick have Cork's plan A down to
1: a T. They can neutralise that and then Cork's plan B is just not working because they don't seem to have one.
0: Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. Monday Night Rugby
1: on Off the Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team, we all belong to the team of us. Yeah, great to have you with us. So in the URC, which kicked off the weekend, Munster had a big win in Belfast on Friday night. Leinster came up short in South Africa, minus lots of frontline players, it must be said, and against several Springboks. Sharks 28, Leinster 23, the final score in Durban. Connacht, meanwhile, they beat the Lions 33-30, just the second win of this campaign by a Northern Hemisphere team in South Africa. And then there was, of course, uh, round four of the women's TikTok Six Nations, Ireland losing 69-0 to England at Welford Road. England away to France is the Grand Slam showdown in round five. Ireland will have Scotland in Belfast, uh, neither of whom safe from the wooden spoon, depending on results. Very happy to say, Keane Tracy of the Irish Independent here in studio. Great to have you in. Cheers, Joe. And Keith Wood also with us. Hey, Keith.
0: Good evening. How are you?
1: Very well. Let's start at Welford Road then. England 69, Ireland nil. The record margin is 79 nil. That was set back in 2002. Lindsay Pete writing in your paper, Keane, she uh, described that second half as a bit like a 10,000 piece jigsaw where you don't quite know where to start. And that was quite apt, I think. Irish players at work or college today. English team, I think, en route to France to begin a, a week of prep for Uh, round five all the uh, ills of the women's game in this country laid bare once again
2: yeah it was a tough tough afternoon Joe Um, yeah I was over there for my first trip to Welford Road which was it's such a cool stadium like kind of mix of the old style and the new style and you kind of look forward to what's coming there on May 7th when Leinster are going over there but anyway uh, yeah look it was Probably what we were expecting, really, and if we're going to be on about honest about it, if England had been a little bit sharper, the scoreline could have been far worse, and that's just the reality of it. Um, yeah, look, like, you know, we we do talk so much about the players going back into work, and I saw Eva McDermott, who started in the second row, put up a tweet earlier on today, and she's a nurse. And I think it's only when you actually see someone putting something like that up it, that it really hits home that she was kind of in her you know nurses like gear and like there she was going back into work. And I don't know, did it come across on on TV? But honestly, the physicality of that game was incredible. The, the hits that were going in, a lot of them have to be said by from the Ireland players as well. In particular, like players like Edel Mac- McMahon, Neve Jones, like they tackle themselves into the ground. But England's physicality was just on another level. So, like, I just don't know how these girls do it. Like, how they pick themselves off and go into work now this week, and then look towards playing another game this weekend. So, um. I think even from a journalist's point of view, it's such a poor spectacle that like we're covering a tournament where there's very little jeopardy in it. Um, like Ireland were never going to win that game yesterday and that's just the reality of it. How could they be expected to win? Uh, they're without all their players, we can get like seven players, nine players if you included the two injured players. Um had to really dig deep. They, they're they going to be without another couple more because they picked up a couple of injuries and Sene Naupu got sent off. So there's problems everywhere you look at it and it's only until something changes then we're, we're going to feel the same. And it was interesting um I was the, where the press box is situated at Welford Road is right next to the coach's box. So I was sitting right next to Greg McWilliams and David Nusifora was the one who was sitting right beside him. Now, he's the man who can change all of this and he's sitting beside the head coach, literally has a front row seat for, for what's going on. So if you want to give girls in this
1: country a fair chance, a fair chance of competing, then something has to change. It does. There were 15,800 at the game which was a record, and those records are going to continue to tumble. I'm not sure what the capacity is next weekend in France, but they could sell double those tickets, I would think. And Keith, professionalism has arrived in England now in a big way since 2019. Twenty eight full time contracts handed out, French players with contracts. The Italians have handed out twenty five contracts this year, the Welsh as well. The attendances I mentioned, and beyond. Uh, Women's rugby has left the station. And the IRFU are still deciding whether or not they want to make the trip, and it's ridiculous at this stage.
0: Well, it's become—it's funny. I know we talked about this before, and I likened the um, the women's game to what was what the men's game was like when I started, actually, in terms of the amateur sense of it, the um, uh, the, the nature of. The arguments that we were having with the IRFU, and so was every other team having it with with their union um, around the world. Um, the difference in in this instance for me is that some of the teams in the world has gone it's gone professional, and some it hasn't. So um, what we what we we see at the weekend is something that is inherently unfair and hopefully not dangerous because you don't want it to be in that case for amateurs playing against professionals and it was funny, I was equally thinking of a game we played in the World Cup in 2003 against Namibia and they were an amateur team playing against us and we, the, the view that we took and I took was that we would remind them that we were professional and they were amateur and we would play at a level of physicality so that they would stop at some stage and that's pretty much what happened at the weekend um, it becomes incredibly hard to sustain the level of it's almost onslaught against a team that is trained to to be able to withstand all of that, and that that's that's the disparity that sits between it. So it's trying to get your head around it. I've 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 had I'm not quite sure where I sit with this, but um, at that stage we were getting fifty thousand turning up to matches, and there was an awful lot of money being made. And I think when they look at it in that fashion, the game is not generating a huge amount of money uh, in Ireland, if if any, and it's trying to push that over the edge so that that actually happens, so that it's affordable um, to be able to sustain a professional team. Um, but even as I look at it at the present moment in time, I still think it's very awkward that um, a team that hasn't uh, that has to give up five of its players to the seventh circuit means that it's very hard to equate balance with balance. And I know Greg McWilliams talked about the fact that none of those were in the scrum or in the lineout. That doesn't matter. You know, it, it's, you don't want your, your sort of marquee players of which some of them are uh, moving over to play sevens at different times. And it just shows you that it's still at the very early start, but for me, it's very uncomfortable and it's not good for anybody to watch it in that fashion. And it is great to see the numbers that turned up um, uh, in in England, but it's 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 how viable is the game, you know? And what what necess- necessitates the change, and what means is it a huge amount of money that goes in and makes that work? Um, is it a huge amount of structure that makes it work? Uh, I think we're at the start of you know, from the letter, from the time of that letter, from the the time of women's rugby taking a very stern and strong stance for itself. Um, the results haven't been great, but I don't know whether they're ever going to be great because those structural changes take a period of time to change. So so what exactly is required at the present moment in time and are there plans in place to get it? Because I think an awful lot of this would have been already set in uh, in stores. So the idea that the Severns were going to be gone was going to happen anyway, because these matches are all announced a long time in advance. So so what structural changes are needed and what sort of money is required and where is that money going to be found? I still think you can look at different ways of making that money driven, you know, and you want to have a huge number of people going into the grounds to support the the women's team and that becomes incredibly important. It also needs to generate a fair amount of money, um, but I would say if you're looking at sponsors and potential sponsors, you would say you have an opportunity to put a line in the sand and start bringing women's rugby to the fore in as much as they possibly can. And they go from an area which this was a really bad loss. Um, but what can you do to change it around? It's going to require companies to do it, not just the RFU.
1: Well, just in December, the government handed over 18 million quid to the RFU. For instance, this is a government backed organisation at the moment. So of that 18 million, I'd like to know where was that spent? For instance, I mean, if Wales can hand out a bunch of contracts and we're talking short term here because I agree with you on the long term project. Mm. But if the Welsh can hand out short term contracts currently and the Italians do similarly, then don't you have to keep pace with not even best in class, but certainly what the minimum standard is at the moment in the game. We'll come back to that in a moment just to revisit the game, just to revisit the specifics of the game, because I'm conscious people may not have seen it. It is worth stating it was ten nil at half time, Keane. Mm. Uh, And within that, uh, the Irish set piece collapsed. You would have to say six scrum penalties conceded after initially doing okay in the scrum, it really um, deteriorated and then the line out was shaky throughout. There were two lost and there were quite a few then disrupted. But there was some good breakdown work and some last ditch tackling. You always felt it wasn't the most sustainable business plan. And then second half floodgates opened And Ireland had to play maybe 25 minutes with 14 players on the pitch. England averaged 10 to 12 or 10 to 11 uh, tries per game in this championship at the moment. So Ireland conceded 11. So in that respect, talk of Italian professionalism or Welsh professionalism, Ireland are still pitching up where they are because this England team is awesome as well. That that is the the big issue, the, the big point in
2: all this, Joe. Like I've been covering women's rugby for a good few years, the standard is seriously improving. Like some of the rugby that England played yesterday, well, like their skills and show, and that wasn't always the case. So, um, and you can see when the product is good, people will buy into it because honestly, like I'd say, over an hour after kickoff yesterday, there was still thousands of people in Welford Road, and those English players are superstars. There was grown men, grown women and kids alike all waiting to get their autographs all waiting to get selfies and stuff so you can see that when the product is good people will buy into it and that that's evidenced by the fact that it was a record crowd but yeah you're right it, it wasn't sustainable at all and its it's very hard to be critical of the players or the coaching staff because like I said when they go away, like Greg McWilliams and his coaching staff, they've so little time to work on things. So when the players come in, like there's an emphasis of not overloading them with too much information. So you're trying to make subtle tweaks here and there. They did that around the lineout against Italy, and it had just involved going short. But that, that was never going to work against a team like England.
1: But well, they tried it once and got bundled out of touch straight away.
2: Because you know you're, you're just not talking the same same level at all. So England knew that as well. So that that's the reality of of the situation. But like that's what I, was, I mean you can't fault the players because like their work ethic and there's such a fine line between patronising as well because like this is international rugby but um See, and
1: they're not faulting them I'd quibble a touch with you I, the context I think is the headline news but we do have a situation where the out half Nicole Cronin missed two kicks one against France one against England from gimme range yeah, gimme range call a spade a spade yeah. yeah like probably just not good enough and whether you're amateur or professional mm-hmm you know, for instance, we're talking a lot of GA this evening. So we'll criticise amateurs there if they don't perform certain basics. And so that was a big one. Now, the context is she's converting from a scrum half, which again is is all important. Like the line out, we're, we're seeing instances where balls just should be caught. You know, the throw was good and they should be caught. Same with handling errors. Probably decision making. That first half where they were under the cosh and they could have, they did a they, free kick, could have kicked for um, touch and moved up the pitch. They tried to, set move which came to nothing and under more pressure uh, some of the missed tackles you'd have to say are, are questionable again regardless of amateur professionalism but is, is that though like questionable when
2: you have players that are their conditioning is on another level and you can see that when you're up close and personal like with with these players like it, it's just not comparable like, these athletes are far stronger they're far right. like when we talk about this in the men's game when we talk about like we'll say South Africa like just stereotypically yeah. um it's it's not it's it you, you can have a go there because they're both teams are professional but these girls don't have the conditioning. They don't have the training hours that they do. So, Would th- you say, though, we've seen this tackling trend across more than just the English game? Well, we have. We certainly saw it against France. We certainly saw it against Wales in, in the latter stages. But we didn't really see it against Italy because it was more of a level playing field. This is the point I'm trying to make. I mean, you, you, you said it there earlier, Joe. When you see a country like Italy giving out 25 contracts now they're retainer part-time contracts but it's because they know they're going to the World Cup and you don't want a free pass to be given here because Ireland aren't going to the World Cup let's say Ireland were going to the World Cup they had qualified would the IRFU be doing something what the Italian Union were doing and giving out 25 retainer contracts to the players like I said to give them like a fair chance of competing at this level like everyone knows that they're light years behind and it'll be it's very hard to see how they're ever going to compete like in the near future with the likes of England and France that's the reality of it but when you go below that they don't have a fair chance to to compete and that's that's the point I, I think I'm trying to make that it's very difficult of course you can you can be critical of, you know, missing a kick in front of gold. And I would agree to you, certain missed tackles in that. But by and large, it's not a level playing field. So I think, I think, just think we have to be, we have to acknowledge when criticism is fair and also when p- other p- people above them could be
1: doing more, I think, to give them a fair chance. Well, people above them could be doing more. Agreed, absolutely. I, I would say, look, some of the missed tackles against Wales, for instance, were of a standard where you could criticise them. And Wales have been professional for two to three months. So... You know, and also, for instance, the coach, Greg Williams, bringing a huge amount of positivity. Uh, lots of players have queried when he knew that the sevens players were departing, why Seni Naupu was not in the squad over the mm. previous number of weeks to get on board with her teammates, to practice calls. And the defensive system has changed a, a touch. So suddenly she goes from not involved at all to starting. And equally, Emer Considine seemed to maybe be struggling for form, dropped for the Italian game in the knowledge that she'd have to be then put in against England, maybe the Italian game a chance to rehabilitate confidence. So I'm not saying it makes a a damn bit of difference against England, but I don't think, I think it would be wrong of us to go, well, they're powerless to do any better. I think in certain aspects, if they're being honest, we should be expecting a bit better from amateurs even amateurs I I
2: couldn't agree with you more and I hope I'm not trying to like be like oh we can't criticise the players at all because like they want they don't want sympathy they don't want people like to give them a soft touch Um, and you're right but I suppose like international rugby like it's a results based business Greg McWilliams knew that that he would have these best players available I agree with you it probably could have been managed a little bit better because even like Hoop, who's played very little rugby over the last while and maybe that showed like her technique was pretty poor and she couldn't have argued yeah. with the red card. So um there's just so much wrong, you know, the, like like Lindsay Pete, which you started this conversation with, like it's it's very hard to, to know where to start. But um and I know like not everyone buys into women's rugby and that's absolutely fine. But you said it, Joe, like the train has left the station now. Yeah. There are thousands of people who are into it, and that's the reality of it. Um So, like, Keith kind of mentioned it there. Like, I don't know what the answer is either. Like, is it time for the 7s and the 15s to to be separate entities? But then... Th- th- then you're almost, you're, you're weakening kind of the, the 15s team because you can see how well the likes of Baby and Parsons, Amy Lee, Murphy Crow, yeah. Lucy Mulder, how well that these girls played, particularly against Italy, they were brilliant like these bears, So it's very hard to know and I certainly don't have the answers, but people who are paid a lot of money should be thinking about this, that what's yeah. the best way
1: to go forward. Yeah, apologies Keith, come in on any of this, including Keane's last point there, the 7s, yeah. 15s dynamic.
0: Yeah, well, look, for me, I don't know that we have a huge numbers uh, of people that are coming through, and there is pathways, of course, there there, there is. And um, But for us, it, it seems as if Ireland are trying to accelerate in as many ways as they possibly can. I think it's, to be honest, I think it's very difficult. Um, I think when the sevens is something that may bring uh, more women into the sport, that that may be something that you want to hang your hat on. Um but you'd like it to be able to do both, and I don't know that we can have separate teams. If if I'm honest, but having having different um, competitions on at the same time means you're always going to 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 be in a, a very difficult situation. Um, there's the idea again. I'm just going to go back to commerciality on this, yeah. and it isn't about it isn't about um, saying exactly how much women need to get or what way it is. Um, I think very few people would be giving up their job at the present moment in time Mm. to go for a professional rugby contract because I don't know that that amount of money is there. Mm. So what it is is to try and make things a bit easier and to try and be able to devote more time and attention to it. But, I mean, these girls are devoting a huge amount of time and attention to it. And But I do think we're at this moment in time where we've come from a very difficult period and non-qualification and it's time to build it back up again. And it hasn't gone well for us. And if we were, again, being brutally honest, the one game that we uh, that we should have won was against Wales. And the other ones are not like with like. And look, I can tell you, and again, I, like the reason I, I compare it to professional or to rugby, international rugby, men's rugby, mm. back when I started in 92, was we worked a half day on Wednesday and then went and met up to play. And you were back in the office again the day after the match. And that was the, that was the nature of it. And um, it went full bore because the whole of the international game went full bore professional. That was, that's what happened. Um, I don't know what the full conversations have been in relation to the women's game about the game going fully professional. And so for me, it feels uncomfortable watching a fully professional team playing in a Six Nations game against an amateur team. That doesn't seem to work right either.
1: Well, yeah, well, there's a comment on YouTube from Jessica Hannon. You wouldn't let an amateur boxer fight against a professional. Watching that scrum walk over our front shows yesterday was dangerous. These girls are in the gym every single day. It's shocking. So that's uh, further to your point about safety. How well, would well, you...
0: We've had we've had, like we've had this even in the men's game. Sure. and. And the boys game and where you're saying, well, are you entirely happy with people lifting in the line out if they're not doing it professionally all the time, lifting somebody up to a height? You know, that's and that that's where the game for me sometimes shows um, a little bit of intransigence that they don't want there to be any changes from from the laws between um, one age group and another between professional and amateur between men and women. Mm -hmm. And it can still be the same game, but there can be nuances that would go to it. I don't know about that, but I do know it becomes far harder to lift people safely in the air, unless you're practicing to do it an awful lot. And if you don't get the chance or whatever it is, or somebody else comes out and they're not, they haven't played a huge amount of rugby. Uh, we know that that would rarely happen now, but it did happen in times past. Um, so I, look, it's. I just think it's at an awkward moment in yeah.
1: time. And and to that end, actually, how would you work it? Say, for instance, there is huge pressure. And I think, Keen you were talking to Greg Williams and he suggested some kind of professionalism or some kind of contracts are in the pipeline. So say overnight, Keith, we have 20 fifteens players who are contracted and say it's just about enough to tempt them to leave their careers. And I'm sure a lot of them, as you you rightly say, a lot of them will say, well, for the money you're offering me, I'm not sure I'm giving up the next five, six, seven years of my career development. But say you get 15 or 20 to agree, what's the best use of their time day to day? Is it to play in-house matches, do you suspect? Is it to uh, train away full time, but then play in the AIL? Maybe that brings in safety issues. There, I'm not sure. Is it to subsidise contracts so that they go play in the premiership full-time or, or elsewhere? How would it work in the short-term whilst agreeing that long-term pathways and bringing more players through is ultimately where they are if you have to go over the next decade?
0: Well, I th- look, I think you need to make certain that they're playing here because you want to grow the game here. And you know, there, there are elements, I think, that are that are certain. For me, I would see it not as being fully professional, but being more professional in terms of some money um, a huge amount of more support that's required uh, more technical training more training camps where possible maybe the separation of the two teams or maybe a guarantee that the competitions won't intersect which might be a more uh, realistic one to do um and it's 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 funny i, m- I remember again i'm sorry i'm harkening back just because it's very similar jim staples who who played with me in ireland and harlequin's when the game went professional, um, he's the first year Carlequins played, training was in the evening time. Professional. Because a lot of guys wanted to work. And they were uncertain whether they wanted to do both. And after a year or two, Jim said, yeah, I don't want to do this. Um, I love playing rugby, and this isn't my job. This is actually getting in the way of my job. So he went and continued to work. And that's... know that becomes a a decision so um it was quite interesting for guys that were 21 or 22 years of age back in 95 or 96 to say yes i will definitely take a contract and that would be fantastic and i can make that decision um it's different if you have a spread of players that are already working or have a profession and want to do very well with that whether it can fit in or 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 not and that's how that's what makes it so complex Mm. and um, I think England have been capable, they're a much bigger union and have been capable to put a lot more money into it. Um, and they're also beginning to generate bigger amounts of, of income for us. So it there's a sort of circle there that if you can make it big enough and get enough of people through the gate, you might be able to pay more money. You might be able to get better sponsorship, higher levels of income coming into the women's game so that you can ensure that this can be done at a higher level. I don't know it's changed incredibly quickly I mean we're talking the last two or three years whereas I think England did pay and then didn't pay and now they're back paying again fully but there was chopping and changing as to what that would happen we have been left behind um, but it's unusual to have an international game that and a competition that it isn't entirely um, uh, equitable in terms of that so that makes it it
1: makes it really an awkward time. Yeah, it sure is. i give you final word, Keane, on the big picture, because like you couldn't fault The effort in the first half was outrageous mm-hmm. against, as you said, physically a stronger team, the last ditch tackling to keep 10 nil. You kind of saw almost in some respects the most important aspect, which is a real hunger to do well. And then uh, the various things we've discussed come to play in the second half. Final thoughts on the whole situation? Yeah, well, I thought it was encouraging that, like I was chatting to Greg McWilliams, like I said, after the game, he
2: did say that contracts were in the pipeline now. And he he said, you know, he wants it to happen sooner or later because, of course, he does. From a head coach's point of view, he wants as much time as possible. So we don't know what in the pipeline means in terms of time frame. It'd be interesting... David Usofora. the next time he's up I'm sure it's going to be something that's that's put to him um, and like we've got to be realistic I don't think anyone is expecting like massive contracts to be handed out here because uh, it's worth pointing out that the men's and women's sevens contracts are not paid all that well so loads of them do work as well yeah. they're essentially part time contracts yeah. so all these girls who've gone off now, and they're playing the the Langford sevens. Like a lot of them are either in college or still working. It's the same with the men. Like the the amount of work and dedication that those Sevens spares put in, which is an entirely different story. But it's very much linked. Like you saw after the the men's team got to the, the Olympics, a few of them retired because it just wasn't worth it. Because they were going, okay, well I'm missing out here on years of being on the career ladder so we've already seen it happen even I was talking to Billy Dardis the, the sevens men sevens captain he's gone into like a full time job now as well which up to the, the Olympics he was giving her all to it so uh, that's the reality of it like no one's expecting them to be massively paid or anything it's just trying to give them a fair chance so sooner rather than later like Greg McWilliams says but like Keith has touched on it's about finding where that money is going to come from
1: yeah there are Commercial realities, as Keith said mm. as well. So it's, it's complicated and for sure a very tricky point for all concerned. We'll park that for the time being in Ireland. Play Scotland and Belfast next weekend. URC table is as follows. This with two games to play. So top eight through to the quarters. Uh, Leinster top on 61 points. They're a little bit away from everybody. But then it's so tight. So the Stormers is now up to second on 52. You then have Munster on 51. Sharks on 51. Ulster on 51. And Connacht, are down in 10th. Uh, so, uh, well, home advantage for the top four is where we are. Just to start with Belfast Friday night, Keith. A win for Munster. First win in Belfast since 2016. It's kind of hard to believe that. Just had to uh, double check that. They led throughout. They were 18-3 up at one stage and then withstood the Ulster fight back. Ulster had the likes of Balakoon. Uh, Hume McCluskey Mike Larry at 10 John Cooney Herring and Marty Moore Ian Henderson there Munster had Mike Haley Keith Earls Farrell Delande, Shane Daly was there Joey Carby played Craig Casey played Pack maybe not at at full strength Uh, Munster starting to find a bit of a winning habit at a good part of the season
0: It did I mean certain things have fallen Munster's way and they've taken them when they've happened which has been good as well uh, Ulster looked absolutely devoid of energy um, I think the loss against Toulouse at the death um, the previous week had put them. Um, I think it had broken their hearts. If I, if I'm honest, and I, I, they looked, um, they looked for the most part flat and a little bit dejected, and um, and for periods of the time they didn't have any press in their defence. And um, monster took that, which which I have to say, uh, take very good credit from, from from Carberry et al and Casey, who I thought's delivery was was excellent. Um, they exploited that. Once there was space that they could do things, they did things, you know, and, and that's a really good thing. You know, they didn't, uh, whether that was the script or not the script, they used the space that was afforded them and used it pretty well. Um, uh, I, I don't know, I think Ulster kind of got it back a little bit in, in the second half and definitely had a, had a decent go in the second half and it could have been more nerve-wracking at the very end for Munster because I felt Munster took their foot off the pedal at the start of the second half a little and brought Ulster back into the game. So a mixture between Munster doing, not going for the jugular maybe and with Ulster um, probably getting a bollocking at halftime and coming out and trying to do something about it. Um, it was an interesting game. I I thought Lowry's he didn't struggle at out half. He just didn't attack the game line at all. And I think he's a lovely footballer. A big fan of his actually. Um, uh, and uh, but he seems to have more space at fifteen to do to do some serious damage. But um, so we didn't get to see some of his skill, silky running skills. Um, he looked like a guy that could fit in at ten whenever you need him to but I don't know that you necessarily want him starting there for 10. So that might, he may not like that, but that's fair enough. But I, I thought it was a cracking win from Munster. You could see it in the performance. I thought Jenkins had some very good interplay, which is great because we haven't seen him play at all. Um, and then um, when Ahern came on, I thought he was, he was fantastic. And suddenly the idea of having a very tall, lanky guy, um, it can be used as a seriously good, potent weapon. Um, And he did. He he stole a couple of lineouts, played very well at the end. And very interesting game. Um, Very interesting how some of the players are developing. Um, Really want to see Alex Candelan step off his foot a little um, and not just run at guys, because he is not as big um, at this level as he is at under 20 level. And he is phenomenal. And I thought he was phenomenal. But I'd like him to find a bit of space and I'd like to make certain that Munster would put someone on his shoulder because he's carrying it a long distance and you don't want to turn over ball and loose ball. But it was it was a very interesting game, but um, a team that seems to want to play a little bit more now in Munster and then a team that was just totally dejected and flat in Ulster.
1: Just a quick one. You mentioned Casey's delivery very good. Where's the Casey-Murray battle ahead of Toulouse?
0: Um, I would imagine they'll, they'll probably start with Murray. Um, and uh I, I think what what seems to have happened is the two different styles um that they have, they use to very good effect. Um but I would say you might start with Murray in this instance because I don't think Murray's brilliant at closing out games, his defense is truly phenomenal. Um but you need Munster to be in a good position. I, it's one of those awkward ones I don't know because yeah. it depends on, it depends exactly on how Munster decide they want to play and whether that would be what we saw at the weekend is indicative of how Munster will play with a little bit more use of the ball. Um, if you're going to play to go a really fast attacking game, you're going to start with Casey. I'm just not so certain that Munster are going to start that way. So um, it's look, it's interesting as to, as to what they'll do, but it all comes down again to style and an um, and attitude and the idea you want to do. And when you play against Toulouse, you need to match them in the forwards. You also need to take your chances where you can. You need to stop them doing it. Munster's defence has been phenomenal this season. That's the one thing I would say that has been absolutely world class, pretty much consistently. Um, uh, when they've been under a huge amount of pressure, their, their defence has, has kept them in games. And um, it's, it's stopping Toulouse running away with it. So, I mean, again, it's an interesting one. In the Aviva is not as daunting, I think, for Toulouse. Um, but I do think that there is an opportunity to, to, for Munster in that game. And they're going to it with, um, with a high level of confidence. But... Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't quite know where they're going to go because, yeah. again, i was surprised and happy, I have to say, to see um, um, more ambition. Um, I do think there was more space on the field than they're used to getting. Um, but Toulouse might give them a bit more space outside the 10 Channel as well.
1: And will you take in Ed Sheeran, Keith?
0: Uh, I'll bypass Ed Sheeran. Fair enough.
1: Okay. Uh, for the purpose of the time, to be brief here. So, Tracy has not missed a minute's rugby. You've seen all of these games. <laughs> Connacht 33, Lions 30 in Johannesburg. So Connacht could be the only team that uh, complete the clean sweep against South African sides. Um, beat the Bulls and the Stormers, start of the season. So 33 30. They've gone down to South Africa really with little or no hope of top eight, but that's a very good result. And then Sharks 28, Leinster 23, Leinster 17 14 up at half time. They had two yellows in the second half. They finished the game in the Sharks 22, a TMO decision, denied them a try. This was very much a young... Leinster squad under a lot of physical pressure against the Sharks team which had its fair share of Springboks. Leinster will play the Stormers which is first versus second in Cape Town on Saturday coming. What are we saying about Connacht and Leinster adventures in South Africa? A Massive win for Connacht particularly like after Andy Friend had
2: kind of come out after the Leinster game you know and said you know that we need to improve our professionalism really which I thought was like pretty skating like it was yeah. really honest but it was pretty scathing. and if I was in that dressing room I'd be pretty annoyed. Now obviously it's a conversation that they'd had behind the scenes but to go public with it and a few players had a point to prove and I thought they played they played really well it was interesting and a, a good decision, I think. Like Andy Friend didn't take any of the players who were not going to be at Connacht next season because he said this is almost where next season starts. That they want to go into next season with a bit of a platform. And yeah, it was a, it was a super result. Jack Carty kicked a, a lay penalty and he had actually kicked really well all evening. Obviously at altitude, he, he seemed to be enjoying that. But he had missed one previously, so he showed good character to to bounce back from that. But yeah, like. They scored a couple of lovely tries, but I still think defensively, like the Lions cut through them far too easily. And that's why the scoreline was ultimately so close in the end. Like no more than Munster probably should have been more comfortable against Ulster. Uh, Connacht should have been as well. So um, there's obviously been massive change over in the coaching staff this year. But I think it's a big preseason to kind of iron out those wrinkles that they have.
1: Yeah. And then Leinster?
2: Yeah, Leinster. Like th- that was actually a, a really, really good result. I think that's the kind of result. But like when you look at the personnel that we're playing, that's the kind of result I think. Like that would really stand to them going forward because so many of the young players you had, like the likes of Brian Deeny, uh, Lee Barron, who came on, uh, playing, making their Leinster debut. So th- these are the type of guys who, in a year's time, people will be going, "Oh, where did this guy come from?" Well, he was over in South Africa, going up against an unbelievably strong Sharks team, um, who were littered, like you said, with with Springboks. So. Lencer could have won that game at the end um, they struggled around the mall they struggled at, at, at the scrum but again probably to be expected when you look at the, 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 the type of players that they had so um, they're obviously looking to bounce back this week Ronan Kelleher's after leaving South Africa with a shoulder injury which is a concern obviously with um, what's coming up in mind with Leic- Leicester in mind and it's interesting actually as far as I know that Johnny Sexton and all the first teamers if we want to call them that were actually back in today and I think um, Stuart Lancaster, Robin McBride, and Felipe Contepomi are now back in Dublin. Um, nice. So Leo Cullen has stayed over there. But like this is how like this is how Leinster can operate that they essentially have two different squads with two different coaching staffs in two different hemispheres, wow. um, and they're building up. So um, yeah, it's unbelievable, really, when, when, when you think of it. So Stuart Lancaster is back with the with the first teamers, uh, priming them for what's to come on yeah. Saturday
1: week. Very interesting, mm. Keith. I didn't want to press you for specifics, and I didn't get a chance to see those two games, but um, any overall thoughts on Connacht Leinster?
0: I thought for for Connacht, it's an incredible win away, and I love the idea that he only brought the players that we're going to be playing in Connacht next year. I think that's the that's the level of forward thinking that you need to have. Um, and I will just you know touching on on the idea of having separate coaching staffs able to deal on two hemispheres with with Leinster just shows you the riches that they have. And also some of the pressures that they have, that they have to deal with um, managing uh, that number of players who all believe that they should be starting. And uh, and uh, once again, I would say I don't think Leo Collin gets the credit he deserves for being able to manage that and keep that intact.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fellas we are, are out of time Our rugby coverage And off the ball Is with thanks to Vodafone Main sponsor of the Irish rugby team We all belong to the team of us uh, Great chat Keen. Thanks for coming to the studio Cheers Joe. And Keith Wood Pleasure as always Thanks Keith Cheers Joe. Cheers
0: Ken. Monday Night Rugby On Off the Ball
1: With Vodafone Main sponsor of the Irish rugby team We all belong to the team of us